Okay, we're all good. Hello, 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 hello. Okay. Back to the script. Paul Anderson. Um, when Paul finishes here, he doesn't drive off in some smart SUV or nice little drop top, uh, bright colored red Mustang and go to some $2 million house and chill out by the pool. He, he goes upstairs to sleep. Th this is his house. You get to see how this, guy's, uh, this guy lives. That's his wife right there. He'll be in the middle of a sermon and she'll say something. And me being English, I'd be like, you said something, he's talking. He's monologuing. How can, how can you do that? Have you seen the way he honors her? This is his house. Normally there are his kids here. Or his kids' kids. His son-in-law preached last week. That is an unbelievable model for us. It's an unbelievable model. I heard somebody say one time that the shepherds should smell like the sheep. He smells like us. <laughs> he can't help it. There's people living in these rooms. The doors are wide open in the front and the back. They can come from any rooms. That's amazing. Except ours. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Thank you, Carol. Uh, such an unbelievable blessing. Uh, okay, the message. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, are you ready for the Holy Spirit to take over this evening? Because he's been undoing me for the past few weeks. I've already received the blessing from just answering the call. Paul said, would you preach? I said, yeah. So even if I hadn't have stepped up here this evening, I'd have received the blessing of just diving into God's word, and it's just been exploding. I've been waking up at 4 o'clock every other morning, and my brain fizzing. I think God wants to speak to you tonight. Wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are, the person next to you is not in the same place that you are in your journey. They haven't walked the path that you have walked. But I believe that there will be something tonight for you. This is not going to be a beautifully constructed linear sermon with three takeaway points and some practi practical uh, steps that you can just go and apply in your life. It's not going to be like that. There's not going to be a little sort of anagram at the end with the three letters so you can remember it. It's not going to be one of those type of sermons. They're great, but I'm a mess and, and I don't know how this is going to turn out. So I'm, I'm asking you to turn your expectation level high because God, I think, is going to take over. And the Holy Spirit is going to take over and talk to you through my words, which, is, as you've seen, are a little bit of a mess right now. I'm going to talk from Matthew 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them open. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this verse. I'm just going to read it. And uh, you can close your eyes if you want to. And just let it wash over you. This is Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Listen. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, 
but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Who's heard that scripture before? You put your hands up before. Everybody? Has anybody never ever heard that scripture? Can you raise your hand? It's okay. Okay. Everybody. Good. I want to quickly put this scripture in context of when it was preached so you can kind of catch up to where I am and get us to a sort of place where we will start to unpack it. And, and, and then there's going to be like a few waves. And like a surfer, the, the, the first wave might not be for you. The second wave might not be for you, but I, I believe that like these points that I'm going to extract out of this scripture, there's going to be a word for you. And when you see it coming, you paddle, you grab hold of it, own it, and I want you to ride it. Amen. And it might, you might ride it out the door through Wednesday, through Thursday, through the next weeks. This message was preached by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He said, build your life on the rock. He's the rock. Jesus. Jesus who was there at the beginning, at the very, very beginning, prophesied first by God in the Garden of Eden. He was there at the beginning. He made the beginning and he was prophesied. In the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies Time, place, circumstance, all pointing. The Old Testament is like this giant arrow pointing at human history towards this one point in time. It was the birth of Jesus. He's born of a virgin birth. And then, we, and then, and then I think we kind of get a little bit lost. Like there's this, this incredible birth that was foretold. And then it's like, he kind of grew up, and we know he was a carpenter. Maybe he made some pots and pans, and then he starts his ministry. But no, there's this great little insight into the life of Jesus as a young man. He gets to the age of 12, and you find the story. You don't need to go to it now. I'm going to tell you. It's in Luke 2. And his, his parents go on a little pilgrimage to the Jewish Passover festival. And they travel there for a couple of days. And the festival, there's obviously lots and lots of people. And Jesus is in, in the temple. And obviously there's a bunch of people that go on this pilgrimage from Jesus' village and they, and they walk one day thinking that Jesus is somewhere in the crowd. He's with one of the other families. And then they realize, where's Jesus? And so they go back and they try and find him. And they see him in the temple and he's asking questions of the, of the, of the Jewish teachers. And, and it says they were amazed at his questions, how astute and how insightful they were as a 12-year-old boy. And he said, where have you been? We've been worried sick. And his answer is really interesting. He says, don't you know, I need to be about my father's business. What this means to me is this. This is, this is what I took away from it. As a 12-year-old boy, a boy, Jesus was self-aware. 12 years old. He knew the call on his life. 12 years old. So for the next 18 years, with just a simple life and a simple day job, unencumbered by uh, the stress of any form of public ministry. He just got to observe life, pray daily, learn 
the voice of the father. Unbelievable. 18 years unencumbered by sin. Sin is messy, isn't it? I don't know about you, but sin causes just yo-yoing life and you, and you fall and then you repent and you, you can't even read the word and you can't even pray. And it's, and it's just messy. He didn't have any of that. He had 18 years with the father readying himself for his ministry. What happens next? He walks in down to the Jordan River and John the Baptist, who we know is pretty much the holy, holiest man that, that we can understand at that time. He turns around, he says, there, there's the Lamb of God. And he walks in and John baptizes him and the heavens open and a dove descends on him and God himself anoints him with the Holy Spirit and says, here is my beloved son who I am well pleased, anointed. This is Jesus. And then from there, what does he do? He goes out and the Spirit leads him into the desert. For 40 days, he fasts and prays to God. And in the book of Mark, I thought that Jesus was just tempted right at the end of the 40 days. But in Mark, it says that the devil tempted him every single day. So he went toe-to-toe with Satan for 40 days, getting weaker physically and mentally. And he conquered Satan. He went into the ring with him, and, and, and it records Satan's three knockout punches. And Jesus defends and conquers Satan with what? The word of God. That's a message for somebody tonight. I truly believe that. If you're struggling in some area of your life, if it's good enough for Jesus to use the word of God, it's good enough for us. So Jesus conquers Satan. He leaves. He, he starts rounding up the first disciples. And it says that he goes out into Galilee and starts healing everyone, every affliction. He is the great physician. Heal, healing all kinds of things. And then his fame spreads throughout the land and he walks up with his disciples and he, and he, and he stands at the top of the, of the mount. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And here we have our context and the, and the crowds. This is the great crowd. So we're talking probably thousands are gathered around him. What I love about the scripture, if you see it at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus, seeing the people, went up to the mount. Jesus is always so present. So present. He's always the model. So he sees the people and, and he delivers probably the greatest sermon ever. This is his, I have a dream speech of a sermon. He says, I have a dream. And his dream is, a, is of his children being obedient to the Father. That, that is the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the big thing is obedience. It's huge. He teaches in a way that nobody has ever heard. He takes the ancient scriptures and, and he turns them upside down. He teaches us how to live, how to love, how to, how to pray. And the big revelation in the middle of it is he's looking at our hearts. It doesn't matter what's on the outside. It doesn't matter about your performance. It doesn't matter about your religiosity, which was key at that time. But the message is, it's about your heart. And it is, it, it, it's that. And it's, that's what he's after. And at the end of this sermon, this incredible sermon, he ends with these four incredible warnings. And as I read this, I'm just 
overwhelmed by how bold and how harsh they seem. And he ends with this. If you, to, to, to read verse 24 to 27, you have to read the verse before it. The warning before it is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will de- declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the first potential fork in the sermon. Um, And then Jesus boldly proclaims, he who builds his house on the rock will not fall. The first thing that you notice about the scripture is it is exclusivistic. Jesus is saying, you trust in me, all other ways lead to destruction. Now, in this current culture that we live in, that is radically countercultural, isn't it? The culture is saying, all roads lead to God. And I don't want this to be an apologetic of a sermon, but you need to understand why is it exclusivistic. I'll tell you why. Because God and love is exclusive. Love is exclusive. When I said, I do to Shelby, I also said, I don't to everyone else. God and his love is exclusive. The God that made you, the God that created you, that knitted you in your mother's womb, the Bible says. God that was perfect and lacked nothing. His unity, his trinity, he lacked nothing, the Bible says. He was perfect. We were born out of that perfect love. We are literally the objects of his affection. He didn't need to, but he wanted to know us and for us to know him. So we're born out of that. Um, I've just, I have a three-month-old baby. And I started to think about the future. And I thought, I thought about some of the trials and tribulations of being a father. And one of those is that I've seen and heard of when parents lose their child. And, and the, just the sheer terror. And I started thinking about how I would cope with that. And I thought, uh, maybe when um, Willow grows up to be a little girl, I'll have a conversation with her. And I'll say, we're going to go to a, a, a shopping center or we're going to go to the mall. And um, I know it sounds funny when an Englishman says that. Um, <laughs> we're going to go to the mall. And I, and I would say to her, look, if you ever get lost, just run to the information desk. Find somebody and stay there. Just stay there. And then, what do I say? Do I say, hey, look, if anybody comes along, just make sure you go home with somebody? It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous to me, but that's the message. That's, the, that's what the outside world thinks, that this God who created us and knitted us and made us the way that we are and has hopes and dreams and a plan and a hope for our future and all of these wonderful things. And you're an introvert and you're an extrovert and you don't know why, but he does because he made you that way. And he wants to be reconnected with you so he can know you and to love you and pour all that stuff into you and change your life with his love. And the world says, no, no, just 
just choose any father. Just choose any God. It's ludicrous. So why build your house on the rock? Number one, because it's exclusivistic. Jesus paints clear lines. He says, this is a goal. This is, the, this is the end zone. This is a touchdown. This is not a touchdown. It's very, very clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The arrow points to him. It's a bold claim. The life that survives the trials, and this is really when I'm, I'm moving towards the real heart of this message, is a life that is founded on the rock. In Mark, when it talks about this, it talks about the excavation under that. That's first before you lay it. And that's poignant, and that's something for you to think about. Is, is, is Jesus the, the, this kind of, is it the first level or the second level? Is there stuff under it? Is it a, is it a shaky foundation? What are the building materials that you've used to build that, 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 that foundation layer? This is what I believe. I believe God wants to build a beautiful monument out of your life. I, I believe, and what I've experienced in my life, is that he wants to entrust incredible things to you. Yes, spiritual gifts. He is this, this God of abundant love, and he wants to pour out all of these gifts on his children. And I feel like he's there and he just, he wants to do it. But he's like, I don't know if the foundation will take it. Because when God pours out his love, when God starts giving, when God starts moving and doing, you better have a firm foundation. You better have a firm foundation. two action words in that are those who hear and then they do they'll inherit the kingdom they'll know God those who hear and do it's a collaborative process it's a collaborative process it's about action okay the final reason. In the last few weeks, in the people that I've met, my neighbors, old friends, best friends, have had things that have happened in their lives that have left me heartbroken. They've left me heartbroken. And um, I'm just going to, I, I want to give you one example. I want to give you one example, and I could, I could pick any one of these five, and, and then I want to talk about something a little bit bigger, but I, I just want to talk about just one personal thing. Um, Shelby and I have just had this beautiful baby, Willow, and we dearly wanted to start a family, and Shelby and I love each other, and um, it's a wonderful thing, and she's this beautiful little cub, um, but man, man, is she hard work. She really is. We call it the new normal, and it's being redefined every single day. Yeah. Sleep has become this valuable commodity that if they sold it in the grocery store, I'd pay a lot <laughs> of money for. 
and, and Shelby would too. I'll take two sleeps, please. That'll be 150 bucks. I'll take four. I'll take it. I would. She's beautiful, but she comes with a phenomenal amount of responsibility. She's needy. I want my pants changed. No. But it was amazing as, we, as Willow came into the world and, and, and we were just confronted with this phenomenal responsibility and just the dependency and just how much we needed to lean on our friends and our family. It was huge. And then the, just after she was born, somebody came and visited us and somebody that we knew and um, she came to church with us. And the church that I go to, one of its hearts is sharing the gospel. If you come there, you're going to hear the gospel. And uh, she, I've always had, th this girl has always been on my heart, but she's always been more of an acquaintance. And I've always wondered about her. She had a sense of that kind of, just kind of drifting through life, just not knowing. Anyway, a, a few weeks ago, I learned that she was pregnant. And as soon as I heard it, my heart broke. And I was filled with anger and sadness when my heart broke. And it was funny, as, as Willow got kind of brought into the world, Shelby and I said, man, this is unbelievable. We love it a bit, but how do women do this on their own? And so this, this girl, she, she got presented with the gospel in front of her. Then we went up and we took communion and she was just there. She never took the step. She built her life on the sand. And she's going to have a difficult time. Heart breaks for her. And, and the examples go on. I'll give you another one. A friend of mine who I met in one of my skiing seasons. We've just always kept communicating via Skype. And, 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 and he's, the, he's the party animal. He's the fun guy. Um, and Dave just said, man, I, I've, I've broken up with my girlfriend. And I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. And... Um, you know, a couple of years ago, if I'd have heard that, man, I'd have just gone, Dave, you need Jesus. But at the time, I just needed to listen to him and, and, and pour out compassion and say, I'm sorry for the stuff that you're going through. And it was funny. He kept talking and he said, our lives became so entwined. And I said, well, well what does that mean? And he says, physically, emotionally, financially, socially, like all of our lives are just wrapped up. And he was just he's utterly heartbroken. And I said to him, I said, look, can I give you some advice? And he said, yeah, of course, man, I really appreciate any wisdom. And I, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, don't get on the same train and expect it to uh, arrive at a different place. And he said, thanks, I hear you. It's the beginning of a conversation. I didn't think he was just ready to hear. Uh, and trust me, that's my heart. <laughs> if you want to know what I'm thinking all the time, it's like, can I give this person the gospel? I don't care if they're strangers or whatever. So it was hard, but... Again, it's just another story of a life built on the sand and then wrecked. And Jesus said, great will the fall of it be when the storms of life come. And listen, you might be in the summer of your life. I think it's amazing that how God creates seasons. There's so much consistency in our universe, but he creates these seasons. And if you're in the summer of your life, you're studying and all things are great. Guess what? Autumn's just around the corner. And after that is winter. And I, I don't want this to be a message about... <laughs> The E word, which is getting thrown a lot around in church at the moment. And just take a look around you. Stuff is being shaken up. But I'm telling you on a personal level, forget what the president of the United States is doing and all that kind of other stuff. In your life, 
Your building will not stand if the foundation is not set. It will not, it, it, it won't happen. It's, to, it's end times. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. Too cryptic. Laughing. What did you think it was? Could you put the? Okay, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a horrible segue about to what I'm just about to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm incredibly blessed to have um, a lot of wonderful people in my life. Um, when I married Shelby, I inherited a phenomenal family, um, included in which is um, a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law that love Jesus. Love Jesus. Um, Katie and Billy. Billy became one of my mentors early on in my life via Skype. He works for a missions organization, so does Katie, uh, called AIM, Adventures and Missions. And they run something called the World Race. 11 months, 11 countries, and they go and they work with existing missions. It is phenomenal. And one of those missions took Katie to Thailand and to the Red Light District. What I'm about to speak about <laughs> is real. It's very real. And I don't do this lightly, but I think... Of all the messages that I've heard lately, they've been fantastic messages. Messages about stewardship and spiritual development. And they... <laughs> thanks. Hey, Sally. Um, they're wonderful messages, but they are very much focused on us. And what I don't want us to do is to lose sight of the bigger picture. And, and that's why I'm bringing this up. So Katie went to Thailand and the red light district and they worked with an existing mission there. And uh, a few months later she came back. She works at the head office in Georgia. But there are girls working there on the ground at the moment. And, and there's about six girls. And in Thailand what is happening is that girls as young as three are being sold for sex. Uh, boys, young boys are having operations to change them so they can be introduced into the industry to satisfy the need. Mothers and fathers are selling their kids into this trade. Um, this is a picture that was taken. The guy on the motorbike, um, if you can make it out, he's probably a westerner. And he is returning the girl on the right. The little girl with the, the ponytail is probably eight or nine years old. And he is comforting her and telling her that it hurts because it's your first time, but that's okay. The pain will go away. And that uh, it's okay. You, you did a great job. And her pimp is laughing. She's eight or nine years old. And I read that. I was broken. 
I was broken and I was filled with anger and I wanted vengeance. I wanted to find that guy and rip his arms off. I did. It was too much for me. And a couple of years later, now, this is more profound than ever for me. And it broke me again. And every time I hear this story, the motivation for you to build your house on the rock is because we live in a broken, broken world. And if it is just about you and in your timeline and, and, and your comfort level and about when you feel inclined, I don't, I don't know how it will ever impact the, the world that we live in. Now, that's part of a blog post. And as I, as I read down, there were some amazing comments. CJ, can you put up the comment? There was this comment by this, this girl called Kelly Williams. And she said, Katie, my heart hurts for the little girl. But honestly, until we start loving and have compassion for the man on the bike, our world is never going to change. I realized when I read that, my faith wasn't there. It wasn't there. I, I couldn't have compassion and I couldn't love the man on the bike. I couldn't do it. But, but Kelly's right. She's a wonderful woman of God, actually. I spoke to Billy about her. I said, man, I just read Kelly's comment. And he said, yeah, she's the real deal. Because she's been into the dark places and she's, she's been to the limits of where her faith can take her. And... and and, and this is, this is the, the faith that she has. There are over 200,000 registered charities in the UK. 200,000, all good causes. Some of them for saving animals, and that's fine. Some of them even trying to help humans, and that's fine. And there is in us this, this sense of justice. That doesn't make you a Christian. There are plenty of charities out there trying to stop sex trafficking, even in this city. But the point is, is that the world will not take notice. We will not look like the book of Acts. We will not uh, look like the, the, the Rome that Paul was talking about. Those kinds of Christians. It's not about numbers. It kills me when I hear people like I've got friends that are starting a little bit of a, uh, you know, starting a, a church plant. And they say, yeah, yeah, but we're, we're small. I said, praise God. You are the fulfillment of prophecy Thousands of years ago, a mission started by a group of 12 loyal guys that grew to 70, that grew, that grew, that grew. Read the book of Acts. Humble, unlearned men, less education than we have, so many less resources, but they were filled with the, the Holy Spirit. Our world will not change until you decide to get serious with your faith and I get serious about my faith and it starts with me building my house on the rock. I cannot teach you stuff that I haven't learned. I can't give you anything that I haven't got. That's the truth. So this is the order. You build your house. You build your house. Go away today and start building your house on the foundation of Jesus, of who he is, the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the one set apart, the God-man who came and stood in the gap, that Jesus. And, and, and what is the order that we do things? It's in the book of Nehemiah. Look in Nehemiah 3. 
unbelievable. It says, and I can't even name the name, so I'm not even going to read them, but it said, this guy built the wall. And the guy next to him, he built his wall. And the guy next to him, he built his wall. The scripture is Nehemiah 3, I think 5, actually to 16. It just keeps going with all these crazy names. The wall around Jerusalem is a picture of the kingdom of God. If I start building my wall and it gets up and it gets strong, and, and, and Micah builds his wall next to him and, and, and Israel next to him, and, 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 and Shelby and, and, and Becca next to hers and Johanna, what happens? That kingdom grows, but it starts with us. And I think what happens is this, is we get saved and then somebody throws in the Great Commission or throws in a mission trip or throws in some kind of good works and we run and we go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to help you. And then a storm comes and it takes out our house and it gets wrecked. Because the foundation isn't set. There's no practical steps that I can give you. It requires discernment. Your foundation has to be set. And some of you here today, I've benefited from your house being built. Some of these people in the audience right now that have helped me get to this point and this stage. When your house is done, then go help your brother next to you and your sister next to you yes and so on and so on and so on i'm standing in god's house behind god's pulpit speaking his word to his people that is a miracle Four and a half years ago, I was wandering around London like a zombie. My life was broken. I had no money. My life was, was a mess. I had no hope. I didn't know who to turn to. My mother, she had no money. I've never known my father. I didn't know who to turn to. I sent an email to my sister and my brother-in-law. I said, I need help. I need help. I need six and a half thousand pounds I owe I've never paid taxes. I'm practically homeless. They said, come to Crete. So he bought me a ticket. I missed the first flight. That's fine. I, I didn't have enough money to book the 90 pounds for the second flight. I get on the second flight. And I start working off that debt, surrounded. And I was in a little sanctuary. God took me out of that place. And by night, my sister, my sister shared the gospel. But listen to this. It was not the fact that she shared the gospel with me. It was the fact that her life was built on the rock. I was at a crossroads in my life. And I can tell you, it might be for other people differently. They just, they're just ready. You know, they just hear, you know, hey, Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. I'll take it. I'm in. I wasn't there. I looked at the temptation of going back to my life in London and doing it just with a different spin. Going back to my hedonistic ways that have brought me to that place in the first place. Her words and how she shared the gospel were seasoned with so much salt, it was undeniable. It was impossible for me to ignore. I saw her family. I saw her life. Like we get to see Paul's right here. If it hadn't been, I'm not here. 
I'm not married to Shelby. I don't have this beautiful baby in my life. I don't have this amazing house in White Bear Lake. I'm not saved. I don't have this inner peace. I don't have all of these incredible things and incredible people in my life. I'm not here. You're not hearing these words. I'm in London somewhere and I'm in rehab or I'm in jail or I'm in hospital. And that's the truth. My life got transformed because somebody's life had been built on the rock. That is it. That is it. You do not know when somebody is going to send you an email and says, I need help. You don't know when you're going to walk out of your door and see your neighbor in tears because she's about to break up with her, her boyfriend. You don't know when somebody, one of your co-workers, you're going to go into the restroom and see somebody with their life undone. You don't. But God knows and he wants to use you. He wants to use you. And your, your words and your life need to be seasoned with salt and need to be built on this foundation. You know what to do. <laughs> you know what to do. There's not going to be any practical steps. I just... I just want you to be, this is an exhortation about the world that we live in. I know you see it and I know you hear it, but I want us to be ready. I want us to be able to transform our lives and those around us and then the communities. I want that wall to get built. I really do. And I honestly, I believe we are the generation to do it. I don't say that just out of hype. I honestly believe it with everything in me. And Paul does too. I'm going to finish with this. If you were to look at a lot of the organized religions in the world right now, they have abandoned our generation. Not intentionally. They just don't know how to deal with us. They're like way too much drama. Right? They're hemorrhaging numbers. The organized religion is just like, I don't know. You know, we got them until they go to college and then good luck. They'll come back to us when they want to get married, you know, and then their families and uh, okay. And Paul is surrounding himself, uh, surrounding himself and Karen with us and all of our drama. He believes in you. He believes that you are the generation that can do this and change it. Let us not make the mistakes of our, uh, our previous generations. Let us stand on the shoulders of giants. Let us go do the hard work. Let us walk the narrow path with each other. Let us encourage each other and build each other up. Night and day. Let's get serious about this. I think that's all I got. Should we pray? Let's pray. I'm going to pray. Hmm. Jesus, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you that you came to show the way. I thank you that you are the example. Lord, help us to look to you the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, you're the master builder. Help us to make you the very foundation of our, of our lives. 
Lord, build us up to be a beautiful monument to your glory. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that anything that's been of you, Lord, I just, I, I pray you water that seed. Lord, take this message out of these walls because the real work starts outside. The real work starts tomorrow. The real work starts next week when the world comes at us. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom first. Help us to be builders with a purpose. Lord, let us help us to gather around each other as brothers and sisters. Lay hands on each other side by side and let's build your kingdom. Lord, I pray that. Yours is the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.